open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out unto all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went forth from him, so she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt. Live thou and thy children of the rest. Here we see in these verses, what I see first of all, there's a lot of things we can see and learn from these verses, is there was a dilemma because of this debt that was occurred. This woman's husband had died. Some believe, I think it was John Gill and maybe others, said that her husband probably could have been Obadiah, who was mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember when Ahab and Jezebel reigned and how God had shut up the heavens for for a long period of time. But her husband, this was him, said that he hid the prophets of God. You remember when Jezebel was killing all the prophets of God in two different caves. He hid 50 in one cave and 50 in another. He provided for them. Why did he hide them? They'd have been killed. He risked his own life, everything he had, to take care of those prophets, God's messengers. Remember when Elijah, after he faced the 450 prophets on Mount Carmel, he You know, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. He feels sorry for himself and gets out, runs up, and gets up under a juniper tree. And God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I'm the only one left. God says, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed to the image of Baal. And Obadiah, he could have. I see where it could have been, where he had took care of these. And it said, let's begin in verse 1. Now, there cried a certain woman. Of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, she comes to Elisha. Her husband's dead. She said, you know who my husband was. My husband feared God. My husband served God. But he died with a great debt. A great debt. Listen, the true character of a person cannot be determined by his possessions and position in this world. This man, a son of the prophet's, feared and served the Lord. Though he lived and died, 
in poverty. If by God's providence we are well off, let us use these means to minister to others as this man did. If by God's providence we are poor, let us trust God to supply our every need. People said, oh, he just wasted his money. He, he, he built up this great debt. The reason he did, he, he was trying to take care of somebody else. But now that he's dead, the creditor comes to her house and demands that payment be made. And under the Jewish law, they could take her sons and they could become slaves to have to work and pay for that debt. Can you imagine how she feels? What in the world am I going to do? My husband's dead. I only have two sons, and the creditor wants them. The word creditor signifies one who exacts what is justly due to him. In the present case, it would seem that so long as the debtor lived, the creditor had, no, had not enforced his right upon these sons. But now that the man is dead, he claims their service to which he was lawfully entitled to. The law demands it. You say, well, she's just a widow with two sons. The law's unbending for anybody. There's a debt that's been incurred and the debt's got to be paid. It's got to be paid. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. Someone's got to pay the debt. And they have nothing to pay. That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. It says a certain woman cried unto the prophet. Why is she crying? She's desperate. You know, when we come to God and out of desperation, desperate, desperate, and God has shut this woman up to her need. These sons of this woman were in their father before they were ever born. And now they are guilty of the debt. And they must pay the debt. This woman's in a sad position. She's desperate. This is not her original condition. This is not how she was when her husband was alive. Do you not see the picture? But now that he's dead... She's in a mess. She's in a mess. Because of his death, he's left the debt that must be paid. You could have saw a man look at man in the garden. Look at him having fellowship with God, but then look after him after he sins. That debt, the debt's got to be paid. The debt must be paid. And somebody's got to pay the debt. This woman... I think can represent a lot of different things, but I think she represents the church of God. She's concerned for her children. She's concerned for them. And as I begin to think about this, this, this widow, here's this woman. She's lost the one that took care of her, the one that loved her. Now she's in this sad plight. She's in debt. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 7, we made mention of this just a little bit in the message earlier. You know in Revelation 18, it's talking about the false church. 
And it says, that here's what she said. When God begins, right before he brings judgment on this church. And the church is, the false church is the antichrist religion of this age. And here's what she said. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously so much torment and sorrow give her. For she has said in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm no widow. And I won't see any sorrow. Do you see what she's saying? Boy, I'm no widow. I've got everything I could ever want. But look at this woman. This woman here pictured this widow. She's crying out to God, coming to God. And God will bring us to himself. Proverbs 15, 25, listen. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. He will establish the border of the widow. Listen, the widow, as in the most extreme type of desolation, stands as a representative of the class safer in representative of a class safer in their poverty than those under, under the protection of God than the proud, haughty, and their strength. She's safer. You see that this woman, she's safer than that old proud harlot. She said, I'm no widow. Listen to what John Gill said. This blessed my heart. said, this, this widow, whose advocate, judge, and defender he is, when men, rich, proud, and oppressive, attempt to remove the landmark of the widow's border. This reminded me of my stepmother. She was married to my father for many years, and he died about three years ago. And she's alone, lives by herself. And she owns some property. And she said, Mike, she wanted me to go over out the other day. She said, do you know where the boundary lines are? I said, yeah, Daddy told me years ago. She said, I think somebody's trying to move the lines. They're trying to take the landmarks, trying to move the borders. You know what they're trying to do? Trying to take advantage of her. That's what he's saying here about Proverbs. He said they're trying to take advantage of her. To lessen her land and enlarge their own. They want to enlarge their own, don't they? Listen, if Antichrist religion had its way, they would just bulldoze this place over a long time ago. Isn't that right? They want to enlarge their area, their, their borders. They want to just take it all over. But God has respect to those little widows. <laughs> They're his widows. Do you see the picture here? They're his widows. Let me read the, the verse again, Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. What did he tell Peter? He said, Peter, whom do men say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father did. And he said, upon this foundation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What? My borders will be established. My borders will be established. She may look weak. In the world's eyes, this woman looked weak. She's still his widow. I believe this woman was a believer. She come to God in desperation. And I tell you this, you know, when we really come to God, when we really come to God in desperation, 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 says what? They want to lessen her land and enlarge their own. God will not suffer it to be done, but will establish it in its place. That is, such who are weak and helpless 
as widows are. Doesn't that describe us? We're weak. We're helpless. But he has regard to the widow. So the church, during the reign of Antichrist, being obliged to flee into the wilderness in Revelation, looked like a widow deprived of her husband and has but little strength to support and defend herself. But God takes care of her. Everywhere you go, if you go to our little place in Norfolksboro, they're just like you, just a little handful. But the world looks at us and, oh, they say, we ain't no widow. But God has his little widows everywhere. And he takes care of them. That, that's what this story's about, him taking care of this woman. That's what it's about. About this debt that's, that's been incurred. And we don't have any way to pay the debt. We sin every day. How are you to pay for that debt? You know what religion says? Well, you go to work then. Go to reading your Bible and saying your prayers and doing your devotions. And, and maybe God will just, that'll be enough to pay your sins. It ain't never removed one sin. You imagine all the blood that flowed in the Old Testament. All the lambs and the turtle doves and all the, the red heifers and all the blood that was shed. And it never removed one sin. But this man, when he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. The widows see their inability. They recognize their inability. And we look to Christ for our sufficiency in him alone. We must take our concerns to Christ, the great mediator. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The prophet, this poor widow comes to the prophet in great in time of great need. And God was pleased by this prophet to, pro to provide a way of escape for this woman. In time of trouble, we should cry to him. She saw no light at the end of the tunnel. What am I to do? This is not something that happened 20 years ago. Like we was talking a little bit ago, it's something that happens every day. I need him every day. Every day. You know what I deal with every day? A thing called sin. You know what gives me so much sorrow? It ain't the things in the world. It's right here. The things that go on in my own border, in my own heart. Am I to, how am I to deal with it? How am I to overcome it? Look at verse 2. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for thee? What hast thou in the house? He asked her these questions. He said, Tell me. Tell me. You know what he's saying? What can I do? This preacher or no other preacher can help you. But you know what the world says? The world wants, the world, the preachers, the false preachers of this world, they say, come to me, I can help you. A true preacher of God says, I can't help you. I can only point you to him. He said, what can I do? I'm poor myself, unable to relieve her out of her dilemma, not knowing where to get anything for her. 
He asked her, what do you have in your house? She said, I don't have anything. You know why she don't have anything? She'd sold, probably sold everything to try to pay the debt. Then that reminds you like the woman with the issue of blood. She spent every dime she had and was trying to find some relief and only got worse. She has nothing. She hasn't. Listen to me. She has nothing. She said, what? He said, what do you have in your house? Do you have anything you could sell and pay the debt? She said, all I've got a little pot of oil. But let me tell you this. She wouldn't have parted with that for nothing. That was the most precious thing in the world to her. Some believe this was the oil that she had kept back to anoint her body when she was buried. You remember in Matthew 26, when our Lord was sitting there and this woman came in with an alabaster box of ointment, very precious. And she came in and she broke the box and she poured it on his head. And Judas said, what a waste. What a waste. We could have took it, took this and sold it and give it to the poor. Don't that, don't that sound so good? And he said, listen to me. He said, you leave her alone. She hath done what she could. She hath come to anoint my body for the burial. And he said, wherever the gospels preached, it'll be told what that woman did. It wasn't wasted. Wasted. It wasn't wasted. The world says such a waste. I believe that little oil represented Christ. She would have, she would have got rid of anything. She wouldn't get. She won't turn him loose. He may seem to the world's eyes seem so small. It reminds me of the remember when Christ fed the five thousand men besides women and children. They said, "What are these among so many? What is what is this among so many?" She said, "I only got a little pot of oil, but what is that? How in the world can this pay the bill?" How can this do anything? Just wait and see. He asked her the question, what shall I do for thee? And I'll ask you, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? A little pot of oil. The grace was in the pot, not in the empty vessels. She would have parted with anything else before she would part with this oil. This was the dearest thing in the world to her. What is the dearest thing in the world to you? Our Lord said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 3. She said, all I've got is a pot of oil. And she said, then he said, go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Empty vessels, borrow not a few. They can't just be any vessels. they got to be empty vessels. Empty vessels. The Bible says we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. She sends her sons out to borrow empty vessels. Can you imagine how humiliating? 
But also, God must give her favor with her neighbors. She don't have the empty vessels. She has to go out and get them. And he said, don't just get a few. Don't just get a few. Get as many as you can find. You know what God commands? This is the command of the prophet. He didn't tell her to go work. He said, go get empty vessels. You know what our command is? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Finding empty vessels. You know the hardest thing in the world to find? The hardest thing in the world to find? The hardest thing? I mean, you, know who, you know who I'm looking for? Empty vessels. The hardest thing for me to find is an empty vessel. I see some that's half full, three quarters full, and they think they're all the way full. And God has nothing for them. It's empty vessels. Empty vessels. Empty. Empty. She did what she was commanded to do. God takes care of us in ways that exercise our faith. God will bring us through, but don't you expect him to bring you through in a way that human reasoning would have suggested. We'd have come up with another plan. We'd have said, now surely there, Elisha, isn't there something else I can do? This seems seems so insignificant. Surely, how how can this work? You know how God saves sinners? He's always saved them through the preaching of the gospel. That's exactly right. As we go out and find empty vessels, empty vessels, and bring them into his church. It's hard to find them. Who was it? Joseph Hart, and that him, he said, the, that sinner, the Holy Spirit hath made him so God's convicted him, God's brought him down, and he realizes he's a sinner. What does that mean? He's empty. Empty. Not just any vessel would do. They had to be empty. The sons were commanded to bring empty vessels. And in verse 4, we see God gets all the glory from this miracle. You see the dilemma. She has a debt and all she has is a pot of oil. And the prophet tells her to tell her sons to go out and get as many empty vessels as you can find. And when you get them, you bring them into the house and shut the door. Shut the door. Get alone with you and your sons. Why was she to shut the door? There was a reason. The creditors could not take credit for this miracle. The neighbors couldn't take credit for it. Elijah couldn't take credit for it. Elisha couldn't take credit for it. He didn't even go in. When we preach the gospel under the power of God's spirit, we pour his grace into empty vessels. And he gets all the glory. Do you see the picture? He gets all the glory. There is nothing in this world but distractions. God has set this thing up in such a way that no flesh glory in his sight. God gets all the glory. And that's the way the church wants it. Shut the door. 
It's we've got this little pot of oil and we've got all these empty vessels. What are we to do? It ain't up to me to fill the vessels. All I've got is the oil. But as the oil is poured out, it multiplies. God took five loaves and two fishes and fed that whole multitude. And when they got done, there was 12 baskets full. Who got the glory? You know what the disciples said? They said, Lord, send them home. He said, no, you feed them. How in the world? How in the world can I do this? He said, you feed them. How can that be? Just make them sit down. How's she going to fill all these empty, empty vessels? You leave that up to him. As I thought about this, he's, he told her, this is what the prophet told her. He said, you take the, get the vessels, you take you and your son, you get in the house and you shut the door. This is between you and your sons and God. And shut the door. As I thought about this, I thought about in Matthew, <clears throat> Mark chapter 5. Remember when Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, he had a daughter that was 12 years old and she was at the point of dying. And while Christ is going to Jairus' house, the woman with the issue of blood comes. She's had this issue for 12 years and he heals this woman. And Jairus is watching all this. And while when Christ gets done healing this woman of this disease, somebody runs from Jairus' house and says, Don't bother the master. Your daughter's already dead. And here's what Christ said in verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, The daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spaken, he saith unto Jairus, Be not afraid. Only believe. Well, they just said she's dead. He said, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and they that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto, unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead. She only sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. I was in there when she died. She's dead. He said, no, she ain't dead. She only sleeps. What did he say about Lazarus? I must go and wake him out of sleep. Every time he speaks a believer, he talks about they're just asleep. You ever seen something walked up to somebody that was dead? What do they look like? They just look like they're resting. Just asleep. He said, she just sleeps. But listen. And they laughed him to scorn. You know why they laughed him to scorn? They did not understand. They didn't understand who he was. But when he put them all out, he taketh the woman's, the little girl's father and mother, and they were that were with him, and he entered into the damsel where she was lying. 
took Peter, James, and John and the little girl's mom and daddy. And he took the damsel by the hand and said, Tabitha, Cumai, which being interpreted, he said, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. She was with the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Do you see the picture? Here's this woman in this house with her sons. And she takes that oil and pours it, fills one vessel. I can just see one son. He reaches down and he takes one. He sits it out of the way. When he sits it out of the way, the little, other little boy sits another one in. How's that happening? Astonished? Like we said, we shouldn't be astonished, but we are. As much oil as he poured, as he's poured out his grace, he fills another vessel. Who fills the vessel? He does. Who gets all the glory? He does. Who saves the sinner? He does. Who raised that girl from the dead? He did. And they were astonished. She was, she was really dead. You were one day really dead. You were empty and dead. And you know what he did? He poured himself in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He poured his grace, his mercy. What grace. She was to get together all these empty vessels. And they were to fill all the empty vessels. And as long as there was an empty vessel, listen to me, the oil flowed. You know when the oil quit flowing? When the last vessel was full. If I'd have been them boys and knew that, I'd have I went from land to sea, north to south, I'd have got every vessel I could find. There's kind of a little rebuke here if we really believed that God would fill empty vessels. We'd want people to come hear the gospel. And that's, you know where God works? He works with his little widows, his church with his children. As they invite and bring empty sinners to Christ, he pours his oil in them. And he gets all the glory. And as long as there's one elect sinner left, the oil's going to flow. It will never run out till the last one's full. This world only exists, and we only are able to meet here this morning because God has a people he's going to save. That's right. God has some sheep in this little place called Cottageville that he's going to find. He's going to bring those empty vessels in. They're going to be all brought. They're going to be all brought. He'll never lose a one. And he'll fill every one of them. And when the last one's filled, we're going home. When the last... She turns and she asks the question to her son. Is there not an empty, another vessel empty? 
He said, not another one. And my question to you this morning, is there not another empty vessel? Is there not another empty vessel? Is there an empty vessel here? That God may pour his grace and his mercy and, and fill your heart with his fullness? He's the fullness of the Godhead in a body. And listen, when he fills you, you're full. You're full. <laughs> full. He said, you are complete in him. If something's full, it's complete. It's completely full. There's nothing else to be added. And listen, you can't pour. You ever seen try to mix oil and water? It ain't happening. It ain't happening. You can't mix works and grace. It ain't happening. It's either works or it's grace or it's grace and it's or it's works. But he feels empty. Vessels. Listen. The only thing she had was supply of oil. But this continued to stream forth as vessel by vessel was placed under it. She used what God had given her. She had to obey him. She did it willingly. She was not blessed by keeping. She was blessed by pouring. Luke 12, 23, 12, sell ye that you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupt. God saves his people. He's saving them. Saving them. Empty vessels. Somebody asked Mr. Spurgeon one time, and they said, Mr. Spurgeon, do you think the greatest hindrance to salvation is our sinful self? He said, oh, no. The greatest hindrance to our salvation or to God's salvation is our righteous self. He thinks he's too good. Too good. No man's too, no man's too bad to come, but a lot are too good to come. Empty buckets are the fittest for the well of grace. They shall be filled while the full ones stand idle at the well's mouth. It was only to be brought empty. Okay, after she fills all the vessels, every one of them's full. She comes back. Verse 6, it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more in the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and said, What am I to do now? And he said, Go sell the oil and pay the debt. Does that sound familiar? Go sell the oil. Well, where'd she get the oil? He gave it to her and paid the debt. And you know what she's supposed to do with the rest of it? You live on the rest of it. That's salvation. But that's paid. And God's people every day live on his grace. We're just that widow. We realize that we can't pay the debt. Glad my debt's paid. And you know what I live on? I live on His grace. His mercy is new every morning.
It's amazing grace. Amazing grace. The world talks about grace, but we're talking about amazing grace. Where'd you get that all? He gave it to me. Where'd you get where'd you get that grace? He gave it to me. Who filled your empty pot? He did. Who keeps filling it? You know what David said in Psalms 23? He anointeth my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You go say a little. I can just see her coming out. What am I to do now? She's got a whole lot more than she started with. You imagine them 12 disciples walking around picking up them fragments, and there was 12 baskets full. Each one of them got a basket of fragments. There's an abundance. There's an abundance of grace. His grace ain't running out. But have you ever felt like it has? Felt like I only had a little pot. But I wouldn't have given it up for nothing. And God takes it. And as it's poured out, he multiplies it. Something that blessed my heart about the woman in Matthew 26. When she poured out that ointment on his head. People weren't blessed if she'd have kept it in the little alabaster box. What I understand, it was like a rock and it had to be broken. But when it was broke, the perfume just filled the house. It's a, grace has a different smell. Grace has a distinct smell. I pray that God would bless his word to all of our hearts. Amen.